we're live. You ready for this? We're live. You told me this time. Is there a reason you didn't dupe me? I never dupe you. Please don't. <laughs> please don't. Do you, what? Okay, so I kind of dupe you. You always dupe me. But you're there in the edit. We've had people be like, oh, it's crazy that you do that. Like People say that to you? Yes. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm so happy. Thank you, people on my side. No, no, no. They're not on your side. They think it's hilarious. <laughs> they're not on my side. No, no, no. They're on my side. Of course they think not. it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Good job, Tony. But I want to make it clear. I feel like I've said this before. <laughs> but, like, you are present for the entirety of the time I'm editing. You see the final product. You agree on what gets shipped out the door. I do. I do. It's true. Do you put ice in your drinks? No. That's a lot of work uh, when you have CP. Oh, it's a it's a disability thing. Well, I mean, this is a disability podcast. I'm going to argue that everything, you know, from my, the top of my forehead to the tip of my toe is disability related. I mean, you are disabled, so you probably can't get away with that. I mean, arguably, my right arm is, like, not disabled. Do you think your right arm is 100%? It's kind of like a like a symbiote arm. Like, it's like, it's like it got spared. You know what? Hold that thought, because <laughs> I'm going to bring this up later when we start to talk about what we're here to talk about. Okay, sorry, I forget your original question. Ice. Oh, yeah, ice. Like, you know this. Have you ever seen a person with CP... Put a, a a piece of ice in a drink, and by the way, I know that you have a history of drinking <laughs> like fluids with CP friends. Yeah, I mean, like if anyone has seen it, it's definitely me, right? For sure, for sure, you're a you're an amateur like armchair researcher, and that is one of the first things. If I meet a new person with CP, I'm like, here's some ice, here's a cup, let's see what you got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you have enough dexterity? For me to be amused by when you fail. Right. If they do a good job, I'm like, sorry, you're not disabled enough. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, we can't be friends. Yeah. I'll just be jealous and or bored of you. Exactly. It's not going to work out. <laughs> I, I, I don't put ice in my drinks, but it's a, it's a personal choice. Well, I, do you not put ice in your drinks because like, it's not like your hands where when your hands get cold, you can't use them. So if you get a cold tongue, you can't talk. <laughs> let's, let's make it a disability thing, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't put ice in my drinks because it makes me more disabled to do so. No, it's just because like, I don't like being cold. And you're right. It is because of my disability that I don't like to be cold. But it just waters down the drink. And I'm such a slow drinker. I'll put ice in a water bottle, but like in pop or alcohol or, you know, any other non-water drink, I don't do yeah. it. Yeah. My my dad is one of these weird people who like pushes you to put ice in their drinks. Really? Like if you say no, he's like, you don't know what you're doing? Yeah. I don't know if there was like a point in his life, like when his parents immigrated to Canada where they just didn't have access to a fridge for six months or something. Canada is a fridge for six months. <laughs> That's true. We are. But yeah, anyway, so like whenever my dad gives me a drink, he's like, I need ice with that. <clears throat> like when I was a kid, he used to put like ice cubes in my chocolate milk. And he'd be like, 
There you go, Joe. Chocolate on the rocks. Maybe that sounds like he's just being cool. Like he's just like, hey, I know all the other dads are just giving their kids chocolate milk meat <laughs> for you, Jamie. I give you a little something special. A little, little chocolate on the rocks. Yeah, well, that kind that kind of feels like a dad thing where he's he's just like, hey, I got you. I'm looking out. I'm gonna <laughs> give you a VIP chocolate milk experience. Yeah, like that's what he does when like my mom's not looking or something. Yeah, like when your mom goes away for for a weekend, he's like, I'm gonna put ice in my chocolate milk. <laughs> and the whole house to myself, the whole freezer is mine. I'm gonna fill up both ice cube trays. Yeah, that's funny. My dad has never really like been the type of guy where there's like a version of him when my mom's around and a version when there isn't. You know what I mean? My dad definitely has. He likes silence, and my mom likes. <laughs> to like have music on when she's hanging out so as soon as my mom leaves he gets up and goes and turns off the radio that's like the first thing he does <laughs> and then he just like you know how like people man spread where they hold their legs super wide open yeah he does that but with his stuff like if my mom's away he just starts putting his he'll like fill up the couch with like papers and He'll set up like an ad hoc office in the living room. Oh, he just loves like just all right. Here it is. I'm gonna live here now like this. Yeah, like this is what it would be if I were a bachelor. Yeah, but it's not his personality doesn't change or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, same here. I don't think you can be with someone for decades and be two different people. For sure. Like the tension would eventually uh, build to a point of unsustainability. Yeah. Um, it is okay. kind of weird that both of our parents are still together. I know. I think, yeah, that's very true, especially because we are kind of high maintenance. <laughs> yeah. Like you think we would have driven them apart by now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like my parents had two kids with disabilities, so you can imagine... That my sister is... Lonely. Oh, yeah, but they cancel each other out, right? What do you mean? Once you get two, it's like plus minus one. Is that the rule? Yeah, that's how it works. Because you, you're like, oh, I have a disabled son. I This is going to be hard. And then you're like, oh, I have two disabled kids. Oh, we'll be fine. <laughs> I feel like that's what people do like when they have multiple kids. The first kid, they're like, oh, that's why there's firstborn and secondborn child syndrome because the attitude shifts i guess i I mean i can't i can't obviously speak for parents because i'm not i don't have any you don't have any parents responsibilities that way (laughs) or sorry parenthood but uh what was i saying so i thinking about it just a little bit the only habits that change between my parents when they're not around each other like my dad watches different kinds of tv shows right When, when my mom's away he'll be like okay it's time to catch up on my Tom Clancy related type shit. And uh, when my dad's away, my mom will be like, oh, I can cook a, a wider breadth of meals at dinner time." <laughs> Is your dad a picky eater? I, I think so, yeah. But it took me a while to realize that that's what it was. Oh. I just thought that we only ate like six things at my house, but it just turned out that my dad's kind of a not very Fine. adventurous in a culinary sense. Does he do much of the cooking? Well, I mean, he, like if he 
if my mom asked him to cook, he will cook, no questions asked. But he, it's definitely not his strong suit. Right. He'll just do it to avoid the fight. No, I wouldn't even say that. It's more like, more like well, your mother's asked me to cook, so I'll cook now. Guess you have toast. Uh, yeah, and uh, well, you know, he can do, you know, burgers and whatever barbecue related crap. And then he'll he'll occasionally try for more advanced things, but it's borderline inedible, to be perfectly honest. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, Joe. I don't listen to podcasts. My dad, obviously, we've talked about how he doesn't cook, but he also will eat anything. And I think it's because... Yeah, that's true. Saran wrap included, right? Right. He'll definitely eat saran wrap. Only if it's baked, though. (laughs) But I think it's because he knows, like, I'm not doing any of the cooking, so it wouldn't be fair for me to not cook and also demand what we're going to eat. You know, like yeah. you can't have both. You can't make someone else bake your cake and eat it too. Yeah, this is one of my only like kind of life goals that I think I might have to someday be able to cook well the limited things that I can cook within my range of motion. It's a great skill. It's so rewarding at the end of a workday. Like I leave it all on the table pretty much when I'm working. Uh, and then when the time dinner rolls around, I'm mentally exhausted, but there is still always part of me that's ready for that creative time in the kitchen. Where did you find that creative time? Like, was there a period when you were jobless where you were just like playing around in the kitchen? Definitely when I was jobless, I would spend more hours of the day planning meals and like like planning more extravagant meals. Now that I work full time, my, my meal planning has definitely taken a toll. Uh, you know, I'm not as adventurous or, you know, as creative. I just kind of, I don't have enough time bandwidth to think about it. As as does no one. Yeah. Unless, there, unless they're literally like, unless cooking is an, an element of their occupation. Well, there's something so rewarding about it, though. So I still kind of reserve time to think about it because it is like a different I just love food. And I think, like, when I first moved into foster care, I was super picky with food. I ate, like, three things. Every child is picky with food. It's because you've never eaten before. <laughs> no, it was, like, it was, like, almost clinically bad. Like, well, it, it, that's when your mother was, like, piping your gullet full of bad foods? I, w- I would eat bananas, spaghetti, but it was, like, not even, it was, like, Little, I forget what they're called, like uh, pasta balls, like little tiny. I don't even see them anymore. It's like kind of like orzo, but like little spheres. Are you sure your mother didn't just like really overcook penne or something? That just shrivels up. <laughs> <laughs> and then like a plain tomato sauce. And then I would eat ketchup chips. And that was my entire diet. So it was really, really Ripple ketchup chips or just like Lay's? Lay's ketchup chips. And now I went through a phase after that where I wouldn't eat bananas because I just got sick of them. (laughs) And I wouldn't eat ketchup chips, but I've always loved pasta. That's been a through line. Um, Now I'm I'm pretty much eating anything. Do you still have like a a weird negative reaction to bananas? 
No, I put them in my smoothie all the time. Ah, okay. I don't really like the texture still. Right. Maybe you get like some sort of weird gratification from grinding up the banana into your smoothie. Like yeah, I'm like I've I've overcome you so much <laughs> that I'm I can now destroy you and just drink it. Right. Yeah, maybe there is some power dynamic. Um so problematic of your neglect in your early years. <laughs> uh well, were you a picking kid? No. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I would it depends how you mean. I think I was a particular kid, but not when it came to food. Yeah, I mean food specifically. Because you just tried to tell me that all kids are picky, and now you're saying you are not. Oh, I see what you mean. I see. Well, I, like, yeah, there were definitely, like, if when I was a kid, if I was if I was able to, like, swindle my mom into making me, like, pasta with butter, I'd be like, fuck yeah, I won. I yeah. won dinner tonight. Like, I didn't have to eat the bullshit uh, grown-up stuff. Right. I felt like that when it was avoiding porridge. I was like, ah, see? We can still do pop cuts. Right, yeah. I still have, like, semi-traumatic remembrances of my dad's teriyaki stir-fry as a child. Because he used to, like, really overcook the beef. And then, like... There'd be like a, a rice or some kind of starch that would be horribly overcooked. Yeah. And then like really super under seasoned. But then he'd take that like stir fry sauce and just throw it all over there. So it was like impossibly sweet, but then also simultaneously bland. And it was just the worst experience to eat. So I remember when I went to Carlton, I avoided the stir fry station for the first year until I realized that stir fry was actually delicious. I lived in the pasta station. Me too. And then I gained a freshman 15. I also used sauces as a crutch for most. I still do, honestly. Like, I have shelves of my fridge, just sauces. I love it. I don't know. It's when I was growing up, I, I got bored very quickly of, like, the, we had, you know, because my parents had to cook for a bunch of people. So I don't think my mom had a lot of bandwidth at the end of the day to get creative often so it was often just like frozen vegetables potatoes and meat and i got yeah. so bored of that so i just started dumping sauce on stuff to like right. change it up a bit yeah yeah now that's just spiraled into probably an addiction like my doctor thinks i have an ulcer and cutting out spice is potentially off the table for me sorry how did why did why do they think you have an ulcer um, just like some bleeding and stuff. Oh dear! Like ulcer symptoms. Okay. And and I was like, is it possible that because I eat a lot of spicy food, this is worse? And he's like, oh, for sure. If you could cut out spicy food, that would help. And I was like, is there medication I can take instead? Because that doesn't feel like an option for me. It's like really like I have to have a conversation with myself every night. Where I'm like, all right, I'm gonna put some hot sauce on this, but I'm not gonna go crazy. <laughs> oh man, it's a lot. That is a lot. I have something I want to troubleshoot with you in real time right now. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about this, I think, about how my attendants have keys, and that poses a problem because I don't have a way to restrict their access. Have we talked about this? So have you had many multiple instances of them visiting you when they were not invited? What problem are you trying to solve? Yeah, so 
um, recently this has been coming up more and more. I mean, I've I, I I've heard like fleeting references to you know members of the opposite sex like being in the orbit of your anyway. Life. So continue. Okay, changing the subject. I was really afraid you were gonna like help me here. Wait, out you as what? Dating? <laughs> <laughs> Please, I know all about discretion. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so my tenants, obviously they have keys. And usually they're just supposed to use those keys to come into my place when I've called them or when I have a scheduled time for them to be here. Uh-huh. Those are the only two times they're allowed to come in. But? But, of course, but. They don't do that. Sometimes it's super mundane. Like, for example, today, I was in the middle of a video call with at work, and someone just came in, didn't knock or anything, because there was a package outside my door, and they're like, hey, it's me, just dropping off a package. And it's like, I, like, I appreciate. And then they just took a shit on the ground and left it there and, and, and walked away? Yeah, and then they <laughs> lit it on fire, and I was there trying to stomp it out in my feet, I don't work. <laughs> and so now I have dirty shoes and I need to find a way to lock the door. Right. But then like other times recently it was I decided early in the morning I wasn't going to use the services to get it. Oh. <laughs> so, I I called and I was like, I'm gonna cancel my like wake up or whatever. Please don't come. I hate. I you hate, know where this is going. I hate when I cancel a call and they still come over. Right. So I canceled maybe like twenty minutes before they were supposed to be there. So it was yeah. like enough time for them to know and enough time for them to communicate it to everyone, but yeah. also not so much time that they could have forgotten. Right. And twenty-five minutes later. Oh, by the way. We, I locked the door and the deadbolt. Wow. And I've already indicated that if the deadbolt is locked, yep. that means don't come in. And did you line the perimeter of your door with mouse traps? Well, I used that poop package that the attendant dropped in, <laughs> and I left it outside the door. Okay, okay. You, you salvaged some of it? Yeah. Like, okay. some of it I kept for myself, because it was a nice gift. <laughs> it was a nice gift. Well, <laughs> <laughs> some of it I decided to use as warfare. So, I hear them struggling with the lock, and I'm like, that's fine. They'll realize that the, the door is locked, and they won't come in. Oh, I've I've been there before, where I've told them not to come, and I'm, like, in the middle of something i don't know something unmentionable maybe i fucking yeah. decided to have a shower or something and i'm in my apartment naked and i hear them unlocking the door and i've told them not to come over and yeah. they still fucking do and i like i don't understand this can i digress for a second please when you hang out with an able-bodied person yeah like the boundary that is their space and your space 
uh, is quite clear almost all of the time. Unless you're so close with them that you borderline live together, like your roommates in university and the boundaries are questionable, or like, I don't know, you're going through some parallel life event, and so you see them often, and so their space is your space, like Mikasa, Sukasa, whatever the fuck. Typically, like the the boundaries between spaces of able-bodied people are always clear. And like just the idea of of going over to their place unannounced is considered somewhat of a potential transgression. Yeah, it's bizarre. As as a kid, like you never went over to your friend's place or like went into their basement uh, without fucking arranging a date and a time with their parents. And if you did, you had that sort of unspoken arrangement, maybe. Yeah. You'd be so close at that point that whatever you walk into, you're prepared for. Exactly. Yeah. And they're prepared for you to be there. That's kind yeah. of the point. But it's like, the, for some reason, for disabled people in attendance specifically, those boundaries are usually quite uh, loose. And, and it's never us that is like facilitating that lack of boundary. No. I, I have worded that poorly, but it's so damn frustrating. I remember one time an attendant came into my place or no, it was a maintenance worker that came into my suite to do some specific maintenance to my shower. Yeah. And they they didn't tell me that this is happening. There was no notice on my door, like no letter uh, under under the door. Nothing. I had no notification whatsoever. Yeah. And when they came over, I also had a friend over. And I was not prepared to entertain anyone being in my fucking house. Yeah. And you're just like lying there in bed and you're disabled. So it's hard to sit up and yell at them. And they're they're in your place and you're in this vulnerable position. And you're like, who the fuck are you? Like, I'm in the middle of my life right now. Can you please fuck off? Yeah. And they literally like don't expect you to even be angry because in, in their eyes they're they're performing a service or this is part of their occupation and they're probably told to expect you to to expect that you be difficult from time to time like oh that's just the wheelies you got to be careful of jamie he gets spicy first thing in the morning when he's with his girlfriend i don't know what the fuck i'm so annoyed by this kind of stuff yeah well i think it's also this is a disability podcast like you said so let's make it more disability I do yeah. think there is this conscious or unconscious thought process that goes through a lot of people's heads where they're like, well, where would they be? What would they be doing? It wouldn't be an intrusion for me to go in because they wouldn't be doing anything worth interrupting. For sure. Or not worth interrupting. For sure. It's like if I go visit grandma at the group home, I'm sure she's not doing anything. Exactly. Like, let's just pop in to see grandma. She probably wants to see us. <laughs> right. But then grandma's there banging some dude on the bingo table. <laughs> they, they, I, you call them. You're like, hey, I really need to cancel my wake up. They're like, oh, you're already up. And, and, and you're like, yeah. And they're like, oh, you're like, you're, you got out of bed. And you're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm canceling my... Six and midnight, because right now I just went from six to midnight. <laughs> so, yeah, at this particular time, they come in. All they want is to know if I'm also canceling another call in four hours. That's what they came to ask They me. couldn't fucking just call you like normal human beings? No, they decided to come in 
unlock the door and then be like, oh, this door isn't working. Let me also unlock the deadbolt and then unlock the door again. Come in, walk through my apartment to find me in the bedroom and go, hey, are you canceling the call you have in four hours? <laughs> Motherfucker. I was furious. Like, because like also, like, I can't, I, I can't believe that able bodied people like borderline expect me to miss social cues and they missed all the fucking social cues that you're sending, <laughs> trying to tell them that you're in the middle of fucking having a life and they need to fuck off. Yeah, like, I don't know what else I could have done to prevent <laughs> that from happening. Like, I probably could have put a sock on the door handle and they would have just been like, oh, I saw your sock outside. I decided to bring it in. Yeah, yeah. I heard sex noises, but I figured they couldn't be coming from your place. Yeah, I was wondering if maybe you needed help turning down your TV. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the thing is, when this happens, not only am I furious that there's such an invasion, but it also, I just feel shame because now I have to explain that this isn't supposed to happen. and. For the able-bodied person, not accustomed to this world, they're like, wait, so at any time someone can just come in? I don't feel good about that. No, exactly. I've been through the same fucking thing. Right. And you have to be like, well, you have keys, but they're really not supposed to. This isn't supposed to happen. Like, I'm going to have to, I'm going to talk to them like it won't happen again. But that usually is never enough. The damage is done. No, yeah, like, they, it, it, they lose a certain amount of trust. Yeah, and then they're just like, oh, okay, like, I don't know if I'm ready for all of this. Oh, yeah, that fucking happens. Oh, God. It, it also, it's, it's also, like, in less vulnerable situations, like, sometimes I'll be working and I'm not on a video call, but somebody will come in and be like, hey, I think I left my sweater here, I'm just going to go look for it. Yeah. And it's like, you need to call me first. Yeah, like what? What is this? Like, uh, what is my place? Uh, I, I'm not a fucking public. I'm not a park. I'm not a fucking shopping mall. <laughs> you can't just like loiter around in my life. Fuck you. So I'm trying to figure out what to do because obviously I can't. I have a few options. Like one of them is change the deadbolt lock to a lock that maybe they only have on like an emergency key ring. But then they still, I could still see someone going, oh, it must be an emergency because Anthony never cancels his bedtime call. So let me go in and see where he is. I think you might literally have to resort to a sign that says, I'm having sex right now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they'll still come in and be like, I, don't, I think you left your sign on the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, like, it must be a, a comedy sign because I don't believe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other option is to put, uh, like, just date someone who is open to exhibitionism and just, like, instead of a sign, what's that? Or, like, like, public in front of others. That kind oh, of my thing. goodness. I've never heard of the term. Really? Yeah. I'm trying to find. And so, that... <laughs> <laughs> I think the time I train once. You're kidding. <laughs> well, fuck off. Orgasm on the Orient Express? <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah, maybe like put a, instead of a sign on the door, just have like a webcam into the bedroom. Just be like, <laughs> you really want to see this? 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. Here you go. You asked for this. Yeah. So, no, but I I thought about, like, a chain on the inside. Like, they have in hotel rooms. Mm. Which would be good, but it wouldn't help me during times when I'm actually alone and working. Do you have any spare power chairs? You could just park a power chair in front of the door and they can't open <laughs> it. I don't have any spare power chairs. It's just, like, it's outrageous. So... I bought a smart lock. I'm probably going to do something with the deadbolt. I haven't figured it out yet, but that's what I'm dealing with right now. I mean, isn't this just fucking insane? It is. Like, you're having to implement, like, borderline corporate security measures to prevent your own attendance from invalidating your fucking privacy. Yeah. Like, your life is not Mr. Robot. Like, this is horseshit. They're just so surprised. You could literally be having sex in front of them and they'll be like, uh, I don't know what you're doing right now, but do you need help? Uh, do you want to do laundry now? <laughs> yeah, there's some dirty underwear on the floor. <laughs> I remember like one of the first times I canceled my dinner or my bedtime. <laughs> Flex. Because <laughs> I was able to walk and put myself to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the attendant called the management pager, like management pager being like their boss, like the supervisor, uh-huh. to be like, so uh, I think like Anthony needs help. And their reaction was, yeah, you should go check. Motherfucker. It wasn't like, yeah, I mean, if he said it's probably fine. So the head of attendant care at Carlton, uh-huh. like back in like 07 or 08, used to tell this story about when they first started the program at Carleton in residence, the uh, attendant commons was so, or sorry, the student commons, they were so unaccustomed to seeing students in wheelchairs like around campus that occasionally if they saw somebody outside, especially during like unaccommodating weather or something, they would literally call his office and say that, you know, like one of the clients had gotten out quote unquote of their building and i feel like that mentality still exists it's like barely obfuscated oh for sure i've had people call my attendants to be like hey one of your people's laundry is ready to be switched over one of your people yeah they're just like because and the, the motivation behind that phone call is like Move your laundry. I want to use that machine. Right. It's it's not like a caring thing where no. they're trying to help out. They're just like, hey, you disabled people and your laundry is getting in the way of me doing laundry. It's a public laundry room for the whole building. <laughs> it's, and it got to the point where they fought so hard against us using the laundry that they tried to put coin machines in the attendant care office for the clients to use <laughs> because the able-bodied people didn't want to have to deal with waiting for our laundry in the public laundry room. What's the difference between our laundry and their laundry? They thought that we were an imposition on them waiting. Horseshit. I guess their argument is that, you know, sometimes the machine is finished and 30 to 40 minutes later we switch it over because of the time constraints of the attendance. Right, yeah. Which naturally they blame on you. Right, but also I've definitely been down there where able-bodied people 
have left their laundry in for extended periods of time. That's not exclusive to disabled people. Now, a second part of my story is, you know, obviously we've discovered how seriously, and I hope this sarcasm is coming through, the care providers here care about my privacy. Uh-huh. Right? It, it's like we can view his space as an extension of the office. His time is on our watch. That kind of mentality, right? Yeah, his home is our workplace. Yeah, exactly. Very prescriptive. So today I got an email saying that the staff here would be wearing enhanced PPE because of a risk of of possible exposure to COVID. So my natural reaction is, okay, have I been exposed to someone who tested positive? And their reaction is, we can't tell you that for privacy reasons. Oh, fuck right off. <laughs> so I, I had to call Ottawa Public Health and be like, I'm entitled to this information, right? And they're like, yes. They need to tell you. They can't tell you who, obviously. But they need to tell you if and when you were exposed. Right. It's just such a double standard where my privacy is second rate. Yep. And then... My safety is also second rate to their privacy. Yeah, I thought you, I, when you initially said you got an email, I thought you were going to get like the staff was going to request that you curtail your intercourse. <laughs> <laughs> so we've had multiple complaints that you're sexually active. <laughs> oh, so God. And so because it's not in the care plan. It's not in the care plan. <laughs> So yeah, I we've got uh, PP PPE for your big PP. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's really dumb. Yep. Yeah, so that's what I've been dealing with, just the hypocrisy and bureaucracy. Damn, Tony, you're about to spit hot fire or what? <laughs> but, like, think about if I go to a public setting, uh-huh. uh, and as part of the screening process, they will ask you, have you come into contact with anyone who has tested positive for, for COVID? And I have to respond, not sure. I don't know. They won't tell me. The ultimate would be if attending care screened you regularly and you had to tell them if you knew that you were exposed to COVID and when. Yeah, they do screen me regularly. Actually? Every day before they come in, they go... Do you have any COVID symptoms? So how come you can't do the same to them? I don't know. Maybe I could. Yeah, maybe. I feel like they're just, it's a cover your ass exercise. It is. They just, they want as little liability as possible uh-huh. at the cost of like dignity. Dignity? I'm sorry, but there has, nothing we've spoken about related to them has been dignified ever. That's what I mean. They're so afraid of liability that they'll take your dignity to save themselves from liability. Motherfuckers. If if one attendant caught my dick in my zipper, uh-huh. and then maybe like I had to, you know, get a bad aid or something. <laughs> this has clearly never happened. I don't really know what the procedure would be. Well, they got to get some PBE for your big PP. Right. And my point is, if that happened, their solution would be, 
So we're going to have to stop putting pants on with zippers. <laughs> exactly. It wouldn't be like we do an improve our training or like this is just a one-off situation. We don't expect this to happen every morning when you put pants on. It would just be, sorry, the staff brought to our attention that we caught your wang in the zipper. So no more zippers for you, please. I really need, I think you need to like hire Andy Dufresne to go like cook the books for the attendant care organization and like find the flaws. Man, I have such, I would love to get into a position where I could restructure the organization. But did you miss my Shawshank reference? Andy Dufresne, gotcha. Have you seen Shawshank? Yeah, but I don't remember his name. Come on now. We weren't friends. (laughs) <laughs> really he was like my closest friend in high school i do remember it that's very i would want yeah anyway what's new with you what is new with me i don't know the winter months at work are really slow you're going back to work soon right well i am yeah april 19th i think Dude, that i do have to figure that out I, it's not a very good situation did it stress you out in my personal opinion, yeah, it stresses me out. It's very much looming over my head. What was I going to say? So do you mind if I talk about a movie for like five minutes? What movie? Spider-Man. Is it, can you make it about disability? I don't know if I can. Well, maybe. I, I can make it about... All right, how about this? I know that what you want to say is not about disability, but only if you can make it about disability will oh. I entertain this. Okay. Just because I think it would be funny for you to try. Okay, well, first of all, I uh, this weekend I watched the most recent Spider-Man film, uh, Spider-Man uh, Away From Home or Far From Home or No Way Home. I can't remember the, what the fuck it's called. But yeah, it's the third Spider-Man. Well, it doesn't really could be your memory. <laughs> yeah, I have, uh, I have memento disease. Yeah, not to be confused with mentos disease. That's the one where you have perpetually stinky breath? It's when you drink Coke and you explode. Oh, okay. I don't have that problem. But anyway, so I've been kind of lukewarm about this series. I think obviously because I'm just like... I feel like we're going to need to put a timer on this. (laughs) (laughs) You should start at the beginning. So when I first was introduced to Spider-Man, I was (laughs) six months old. (laughs) Can I do the close notes of where I think you're headed? Is yeah. that rude? No, you can if you want. I think you're going to be like, it was better than I thought it would be. So much better. I kind of liked it. I loved it. All right, so we're good. So how about those Paralympics? <laughs> no, no. Can I okay, can fine. I talk about it for like five five minutes? Right, let, I'll give you two. I, I just want to say about the new Spider-Man, which I really liked a lot, a lot, a lot. Like uh, from yeah, every eight seconds in, saying a lot <laughs> <laughs> is that it's the very first superhero film I have ever seen in which a superhero is confronted with a rogues gallery of villains, and their first response is, "Oh no, I like their first response is not to defeat them, yeah, help them, out. but but rather to to try to treat them, yeah. It's like I I just that whole fucking central motivation alone there was something really wonderful about it and there's also this like a strange through line of compassion and understanding and like 
uh, Spider-Man at one point is going through a significant grief and the way that he's sort of helped out of it is a lot more thoughtful than it has any right to be. And so I thought of it as like a kind of a perfect post pandemic movie. It had like just the best uh, outlook on the problems that it put on the table and attempted to solve. I think I could kind of help you out here to make this about disability because yeah. I agree. That is what was so cool about this movie was that he wants to bring a world together and let love survive. And there is not just a disability, but this is a disability podcast. As you've mentioned, that is what we all want, right? We don't want to be seen as other or in need of some remediation. Yeah. We just want to be included. And unfortunately, we're in a world where feeling included feels like in order to get there, we need to heal our bodies because healing society seems like a difficult feat compared comparatively. Getting better is just normalizing. It's like <laughs> get with the status quo already. Yeah. Like there's even many moments throughout the film where the villains are genuinely surprised at Spider-Man's motivation. They're like, excuse me? They, they're getting ready to punch him. And he's like, hold on, maybe I can fix your broken tentacles, Dr. Ock. Like, yeah. maybe I can discharge the electricity that's making you so angry, like Electro. Maybe I can reverse your transformation into a lizard, uh, Dr. Connors. Like, what the fuck? He, and that is literally the purpose of the film. It's not to get the girl. It's not to prove himself as Spider-Man. It's not to like, you know, traditional um, hero's journey type thing. It is literally, how can I help you as Spider-Man? And motherfucker, I, I was so moved at one point. I like forgot that I was watching a Spider-Man movie. Yeah, it's an incredible movie. They, like there's a point when uh, when Dr. Octopus first enters the fray, like Spider-Man's on a bridge. And of course, so you have the compulsory scene where... Uh, Dr. Ock is trying to pin Spidey against the, the, the bridge and throw cars at him with pedestrians in them. And of course, he's doing all the saving and the swinging and yada, yada. And then when they finally get close to one another, when Spider-Man finally approaches Dr. Octopus, he's like, excuse me, sir, are you okay? And his like, his diagnostic computer on his Spidey suit is like looking at uh, the limbs and like trying to override them. And then he starts thinking like, oh, this guy, there's like parts of this guy's uh, tech that is broken. It's really fucking with his with his frame of mind. Like, I think I have a fix for you. And it, just from that one interaction alone, I was like, man, I have to watch this whole thing right now. This is amazing. Yeah. It was just awesome. I fucking honestly came close to like, like you know, glassy eyes at one point. Yeah. All right. Well. I definitely thought this was heading in a different direction. I thought you were just going to talk about Shawshank or something a bit more. No, no, I wouldn't do that to you. Not not today. Yeah, you would. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. It's a great movie, and it has more heart than you would ever expect a superhero movie to have. That said, I also think it's hilarious how desperately you wanted to watch a movie this week, 
instead of what we actually want for the podcast. Oh my that God. You couldn't even make it through the podcast just talking about what we're here to talk about. You were like, what? I watched a movie. Let's talk about that. <laughs> it's a compulsion. It is. I know. Jamie, why don't you explain what we watched for this week? Because I feel like it was bordering on torture for you. Oh my God. Yeah, I think I'd rather have a root canal, to be honest. We watched uh, the That's Paralympics. That's because you like your dental hygienist. <laughs> what the hell did we watch? We watched the Paralympics. I can't even believe the way you say it. You sound ashamed. <laughs> we watched only the most athletic disabled people in the world compete at a high international level. The Olympics are so weird to me because... Like whenever you watch a, an Olympic event, it's not like when you watch a hockey game or a soccer game where there's like a beginning. Which you also don't do. I <laughs> I have regrettably watched an entire football game in my life. I've watched a few Super Bowls. Uh, the last couple that I've watched, I did without alcohol, which was like obviously again akin to torture. Yeah, like I don't care about football, but the Super Bowl is fun because you're just. It's a good excuse to hang out and eat junk food with your friends. So for me, like football is like a bunch of meatheads competing to give each other post-concussion syndrome. Okay, well, what is Paralympics to you? Okay, well, Paralympics, uh, that, it was interesting. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to shame sports overall, yeah, even though I just shamed the entire league. Yeah. My my broad problem with sports is that oftentimes the narrative for a particular team is like so long that it's cross-generational. And unless you're raised to, to particularly care about the sport, unless it's literally a tradition within your family and it's linked part and parcel to your relationship with your father, typically if you're a dude, then you're not going to give a motherfuck about any given like a uh, national team of a particular league or something. The one thing about the Olympics that is appealing is that the athletes are so new and they are they are so aplenty that they are essentially anonymous. So that whole like burden of the legacy of the sport is not you're not really saddled with. So you're just there to witness like feats of physical feats of physical uh endurance, yeah. Endurance. Yeah, and so the thing about the Paralympics is that like when I see a disabled person attempt physical greatness, obviously like all of my like ableist spidey senses start tingling. And I'm like, ah, this is uncomfortable for me because you know, probably part of me aspires to that on some, like I'd love to be. What sport would you enter? I was going to say, I'd love to be champion of the 500 meter waddle in a K walker. Yeah. I think that is the sport you'd have to do. What about a winter sport, though? Winter sport. Okay, so let's get into it. There are six winter sports at the Paralympics. One of them blows my mind, so I'm going to say that's the last. What What does the prefix para mean in Latin? I don't know. I hope it doesn't mean cannot or something. <laughs> no, I think it means half. No. I don't know. Let me check. Motherfucker, that's even worse. Oh, no, 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 it doesn't mean half. It means beside or alongside of. 
or beyond. Oh. Yeah, I could have thought about that more before the mermaids. I was thinking because, like, paraplegia is half, quadriplegia is, like, four limbs. Ah. Uh, but what would paratranspo mean then? It's a short bus. It's half a bus. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> that tracks. And I don't like it. No, I think it means, like, othered. I don't really know. Let me look harder. Like, if I, if I was a rich person who decided to make Uber for wheelies, I would just call it Transpo because they'd get a full bus with all the fixings. You know, a full bathroom in the bus, a bunch of drinks. I'm just talking to myself while you fucking... You are, sorry. Combining form, paratrooper parachute. Oh, here we go. Faulty or abnormal. Oh. Paresthesia. Oh, if, just when I was starting to think that they attributed a, a, like a, a flattering prefix to us. I'm trying to find like paraplegia. So the medical prefix is apart from or abnormal. So there's parathyroid because they're adjacent to the thyroid. Mm. Yeah, beside or alongside. Not really sure. I guess it means like your legs are your peripherals. So, your peripherals are affected? Interesting. I could be wrong. I'm not a doctor. Okay, so we covered six events, right? Yeah. Well, covered is a loose term because the whole time it was you being like, when are we done? <laughs> yeah. Do we have to watch this? We've yeah. watched enough. So then you, so you've, you basically, this is the same experience my dad likely had trying to show me Hockey Night in Canada all throughout my life. Maybe, but I didn't even care about this. And like the part of my brain that watches hockey wasn't the only reason I was watching this. Obviously, it's cool to see anyone with a disability getting recognized internationally. That's amazing. Yeah, that is cool. One thing that I did like was that there was there was a, a sense of momentum and of like physical. Uh, talent yeah and i know that it's profoundly ableist for me to say this but like yeah. i didn't know what to expect you thought you'd be watching like people being like look at me i'm on a hill <laughs> i mean that's what i would do if i was on a hill <laughs> <laughs> that's why i know the paralympics <laughs> yeah but another thing that i loved about this that kind of gave me like a bit of a warm fuzzy feeling was the equity that they bake into the Paralympics. So there's all these categories that they put people in. Obviously, it's far from a perfect system, but they categorize people based on the type of disability they have, mm -hmm. and then they categorize people within that based on the severity of their disability. And again, all of that is really up for interpretation, the cause of a lot of controversy. To the point where some athletes were almost unable to compete because they were too disabled or not disabled enough, or there weren't another enough people in their category to to have a viable event. There were a lot of these types of issues. One in particular that really got my attention was one I might be getting this wrong, pretty sure it was a snowboarder, was trying to compete i forget the categories but basically like the first category of 
of disability. Like, um, it's really hard to choose the language here because you don't want to say the least disabled, but I guess that's already the language I've chosen. Well, no, rather than like try to quantify amount of disability, which is like a, a ludicrous concept, you would, what they did was interesting to me because they would say, they would say basically the part of the body for which was affected by disability. Right. They'd be like, they have some sort of condition on their left arm. And then they would literally use like anatomy terms to like indicate how severe and where. And I thought that was kind of interesting because the way they said it was sort of akin to like when they describe a baseball player and their strengths and weaknesses, like, you know, mm-hmm. in a baseball game, they'll be like, it's very matter of fact. Yeah. This person plays this position. This is what they're good at. Like they have such and such performance metrics that tell you that they are, their strengths are here and their weaknesses are there. And that was cool. I thought that was really cool. But there also is an actual qualification and even quantification that happens because like in, let's start with Alpine skiing. That's the one that we started watching and it was really, really fascinating to me. It was cool. It was cool. Also, obviously, this is the one I used to do, not in any sort of competitive way. It was purely recreationally, but... When did you when did you start skiing and when did you stop? I would start at the top of the hill and then <laughs> stop when I got to the bottom. <laughs> Tori, uh-huh. you're you're kind of a shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that, that, sorry, sorry, sorry. That was funny though. No, I would start Saturday morning and then stop in the evening. <laughs> Imagine I just never gave you the answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like this is part of my mystery. I this is I I consider myself a a Don Draper of sorts, so I won't tell you about my past. Has one ever truly stopped skiing, Jamie? Part- <laughs> I'm sliding out of my chair, you jerk. That would probably be an <clears throat> Olympic sport. Honestly, somebody would come tug on your knees and see how quickly <laughs> you get back in your chair. <laughs> That's so funny. Like, and then it just be like, all right, let's stay here. If he can pull himself back, beat his current time of 1.3 seconds. Yeah, yeah, the the practical chair dip. <laughs> yeah, that'd be funny if you, like, Olympicized uh, tasks in daily life. Like, and now we've got the, uh, the transfer to the bed event. First, watch as he plants his feet. Yeah. Good form here. Perfect technique there. Did you see that? Usually he uses his left arm, but we've seen lately. You know, the thing is, when he uses his right arm, (laughs) it does, in fact, give him a lower score because, as you mentioned earlier, his right arm is not disabled. (laughs) Yeah. You're limited to the most disabled parts of your body in these events, you see. Right. Because otherwise you're not overcoming adversity. All right. Uh, if you were in an arm wrestle, would you have to use your left arm? No, always my right. In the Paralympics? In, well, oh, good question. Good question. I don't. If I had to lose, if I had to use my left arm, I wouldn't be in the arm wrestling competition <laughs> because okay. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be competitive enough with my left side. I mean, you'd beat me. Okay, but what are you trying to say? <laughs> okay, yeah, but like 
<laughs> you can still candy from a baby, doesn't mean much. <laughs> so anyway, alpine skiing. First of all, really fun. They were using the same brand of ski that I used to use. So it was really cool to see that I could have been an athlete if only I was athletic. That's part of the reason why you love it, because you can see yourself doing it. I, I have no I have no desire to throw myself down a hill. It's not only that. Like I couldn't see myself doing a lot of these sports, but just seeing all of the work that goes into making this happen. Like the yeah. fact that you know there's a whole committee, the IPC is trying to dictate the categories, trying to dictate the rules and regulations for putting people in the categories, mm-hmm. making sure it's as equitable to all of the athletes as possible. And it doesn't feel, like you said, like a charity event at all. What I also like is this sense that the the event has done a lot of problem solving in right. order to involve as many people as possible. Because like, despite that I keep slagging off on sports, uh, it, it it is important to me to be physically active to the extent that I can be. And when I see uh, disabled people like advocating for the for their form of exercise for their equivalent equivalency of competition, and when I see them overcoming, and again, like that word is loaded uh, and frustrating, but when I see problem solving happening, it's encouraging for me because it tells me no matter how disabled I become, there's probably people who have thought about how to get somebody like me into a into a bicycle cycling again or into some sort of apparatus so I can get, like go down a hill at ridiculous speeds or compete in uh, in some sort of version of hockey. It's a, it's a cool and encouraging idea. And there's also the lack with sports. There is a lack of all the tropes and the baggage that we constantly have to contend with when watching a fictional account of a disabled person. It's not here in sports. It's literally just them living their lives, doing their thing. And that is, I mean, how can you critique that? How can you argue with that? It's great. It's a good thing. Yeah. Well, I do want to say like this, there definitely is, it's not a perfect system because it's not black and white, right? Like if you're categorizing people based on their disability, based on their ability levels and based on the severity of of all of that, it gets subjective. Even if you have rigid policies, it's up to some kind of like adjudicator, some physio person or some medical professional to decide what your visual acuity falls under or what your if if like if you were in the Olympics, would you be considered cerebral palsy or wheelchair? Because those are two discrete categories. And yeah. cerebral palsy has people who stand, but they're they have hypertony or whatever. And then they're hypertony. Yeah, it's like just me really excited. <laughs> I'm just really happy to be there. I have CP and I have a hypertony in my life. Yeah. So that's a pretty good uh symptom to have, hypertony. Yeah. Uh, so you're saying that like the subjectivity of categorization is problematic? It's problematic. A specific example is actually yeah, recently, I believe it was a snowboarder, wanted to compete. They were in one of the categories of disability, severity, whatever. And 
typically they have, I think it's four snowboarders at a time. Used to be two, but they've upped it to four. And they couldn't find four people in that category to compete. So they were like, this isn't going to be a viable event. You're not going to be able to compete. That sucks. Right. And so they were saying, how about you let me compete with the next class up? Meaning people that were arguably better at the sport because they were less limited by their disability. And that will only be harder for me, but I'd rather do that than not compete at all. And there was a big court proceeding that happened, and eventually it was ruled in their favor that they could do this. So a good example, right, is in UFC, it's weight classes. And it's very rigid. It's like, if you are exactly this much, this heavy, then you're in this category. So it's an objective measurement. Now, obviously, you can starve yourself or fill up on water weight to get yourself into a different class, but it's still like an objective measurement. Whereas these, they are objective, like the visual acuity is like, you know, you have 20% or 20 degrees of of vision, you're in this category. But certain parts of it, certain disabilities and certain severities are harder to objectively categorize. And so with that, there is obviously room for improvement, but also room for misjudgment or miscategorization or maybe inequitable distribution. That does happen. I was just thinking about, um, first of all, like there's no perfect system for any of this for categorization of disability. I don't think, I don't think there ever could be. So you're inevitably going to have disputes about how to include somebody or where to put them according to their skill level or how to even measure skill levels. You've heard of the term oppression Olympics? Yeah. It almost feels like that's what this is trying to do (laughs) on an objective scale. They're like, okay, but how hard it is, how hard is it for you to ski down this hill compared to this person? Is it 90% as hard or 85% as hard? And and who would be who would be the one to report that? Like would it be a physician that would look at the person and measure it according to a whole bunch of supposedly objective uh, physiological components? I don't know. So that's the thing. Like after we watched all this stuff yesterday, I entered a rabbit hole and I realized I wanted to know so much more about all of this that I just didn't know. Yeah, your curiosity is what is driving the existence of this episode because I just don't have it. Right, you didn't really care. I I feel like I told you three weeks ago I wanted to do this for this week, and you heard me, and then I told you again like a few days ago, and you heard me, and then <laughs> yesterday you're like, hey, you want to watch this movie tonight? <laughs> and I was like, dude. i actually did that i did do that to you (laughs) like totally not intentional at all no i know (laughs) it's just how little you care about sports (laughs) you were just like i but i had a great time doing this i know you did all sorts of stuff i was really excited to think about it my only regret was that i didn't have enough time 
to do enough research because I just didn't have time. But so yeah, there yeah. are questions like who actually makes those decisions. My best guess is physio and or doctor, depending on the categorization. And that would be like like almost an invaluable resource to have access to as a disabled person. A physio? What? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sorry, I I just have gone without physio for a long time now, and I'm really sore. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just saying, like, if you join the Paralympics for walker walking, <laughs> for sure, next year I'll do it. Uh-huh. Um, how little you know about Paralympics? It doesn't happen every year, but continue. Oh, <laughs> next uh, four next in three years. There's the winter and summer. And when well, your summer Olympics as well, because there's like okay. three times or more as many sports in that one. That's cool. Yeah, I might be into the swimming one because I like swimming. And if there's a point, there is a swimming one. If there's cycling at some point too, I'd be I'd love it probably. I told Kyle that we were doing this episode, uh-huh. and he sent me the Monty Python sketch of the Paralympics. Have you seen it? No, it's so funny. They're is like it gross. Like, gross funny or just funny? I mean, I'm not easily offended. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm not a good barometer. I'm like, I'm not, unless it's stupid, I'm not offended. It's probably offensive to some people. There was like one where they're like, all right, and now this is the 500 meter sprint for deaf people. The guy shoots the gun to start it off. Nobody <laughs> hears it, so they just stand there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty funny. I that's pretty that's yeah. funny. Uh, and then there was they had like like an incontinence sprint, <laughs> just what? a bunch of people with incontinence. See how far they could get without running to a bathroom. <laughs> oh my god! I don't know. I really like that kind of humor. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, that's literally toilet humor. I know. <laughs> Doesn't take much for me. I know. What was I going to say? I think it's cool that they're that that they're trying to do this though. Like even just as like a jumping off point. They're not trying. They're doing it. No, I know, but like this is something that I co- sort of wish existed for disabled people in ordinary life. A more a more robust way of prescribing physio equipment, for example. Yeah. You know, like outdoor equipment for a fucking hobby. If you want to be physically active as a wheelie. You want, instead of an individual education plan, you want, like, an individual recreation plan. Yeah. Like, I want to go to some swanky, stupid uh, gym called Push or Movadi or, you know, something that thinks of itself as important. And I want to go to, like, a trainer, and then they have a whole repertoire of ways to figure out what the fuck I can do. Yeah, well, that exists. There are, I actually have a friend who goes to a trainer that only deals with people with disabilities. I, I feel like Jeff McCool could do it too. Yeah, he's done it for a friend of ours. Yep. So it exists. The issue is like, it's a niche market, obviously. But then also, it requires a certain level of training that is more than the average trainer you get. For sure. You know, like you have to understand someone in your situation needs different physical exercise routines than someone in my situation, because what works for you might actually be detrimental for me and vice versa. Yep. 
And so it, it is a large undertaking. But I've worked with a lot of long-term care homes that have recreational therapists as a full-time role. And their job is just to come up with engaging, non-patronizing activities for people to do within their means. And it's a pretty cool job. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Anyway, all that said, I agree. I think it's great that they're doing it. Just there is room for improvement. But there is something very welcoming and comforting knowing that A, we're definitely not being forgotten, but we're being so included that it is, it's very interesting how they do it. With alpine skiing, they go through some intricate algorithm that I didn't research that will tell you how quickly the clock runs while they're skiing. So for example, if a person is rated 100%, the clock runs in real time. But if you're rated 85%, every one second of real time gets 0.85 seconds of, of clock running time. Wouldn't it be cool if that if that's the way that it worked in real life? I like know. literally, like, like the relativity of time itself is like, okay, you know what, you have CP, it takes you three hours to do a 90-minute task. Okay, we'll just adjust time so that you actually use 90 minutes of real time. It's basically athletic spoon theory, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's like, it's the Paul Metten Center for Athletes with Disabilities. Yeah, it's like, it's obviously harder because of your vision impairment to see the course or something. So yeah. we're going to factor that into your time and yeah. assume that you're not going to be able to do this as quickly as someone with laser vision. Doesn't that feel really good when you're accommodated? Like, I, yes. I'm just thinking, like, I, we've talked about this so many times, but the Center for Students with Disabilities at Carleton had this coordinator. Her name was Somi Tam. I'm going to use her real name because she's a legend. I'm, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm about to say nice things. Every single meeting I ever had with her, I felt fucking heard. Even if yeah. I was like borderline on the verge of tears because I thought I was failing, I'd go to Somi and be like, uh, help and she would help so when you are accommodated when you get the needs like when you get when someone says yeah we realize this is harder for you and we have a solution that feels really really good even when the solution isn't perfect so like again just like the attempt the fact that they've structured the entire olympic event around how do we figure out how to um how to allow these people to compete to the fullest extent of their ability that is really fucking cool. One thing that I was kind of thinking about was how a system like this would never occur in able-bodied sport. Because I think in the able-bodied world, the whole point of sport is like the glory of of uh, competition and of like winning, like the culture of winning. Uh, and so I, like, I, I guess what I would argue is that for me, if I were competing in a sport, then winning would be competing because I, I really just want a way to know that I can that I can move my body, that I can look after myself, that I can have a life in this regard. So it would be like one of the reasons I think I've been so depressed during COVID is because I've had so much less so let so much less access to the physical activity that I would normally do. And because yeah. I've been encountering I think a bit of arthritis in my right shoulder. And that has such a 
profound effect on how I see myself. Yeah. And the voice in my head that says, no, fuck it. You work really hard. You deserve certain, like certain kinds of attention and care. You deserve to advocate for yourself and to push for things. I lose a bit of that when I feel myself getting more disabled. And I know that's not a logical, it's not a logical thought process, but it is real. Well, there's also an element of it that as a disabled person, so often you feel unseen by the world around you, society, sometimes even your peers. And in the Paralympics, they're doing their best to see you where you are and then adjust the world for that rather than making you try to fit in and do the slalom course best you can. It's like, we understand that you're going to struggle in these ways with the slalom. So we're going to adjust the point system or the the time to best suit your needs. It's kind of like, like, you know, when you start using a new application on your computer, you have to spend some time configuring your controller to like your, you know, your mouth input device. I forget what it's called. Yeah, you're talking about me specifically, not the proverbial you. Yeah, I'm talking about you specifically. I'm just using you as an example. But when you get a new application, I'm trying not to say video game. When you get a new application that you need to you use. You can say video game. <laughs> And and you're like, oh, I don't know the controls. Like, And also the controls were designed for an able-bodied user. So I have to map those controls to my controller. You're obviously going to pick a mapping function that makes you best able to use the tool. Right. Like, like you're not just going to arbitrarily pick like a fucking mapping that's going to make it just a little bit harder to fucking, I don't know, perform a function in the program. Because, you know, like, whatever, life is adversity. I'm just going to make my life hard. Fuck it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm Sisyphus, like, pushing a rock up a hill yeah. in my power chair. You're, you're not going to, that doesn't make sense. And obviously, like, able-bodied sports are designed within the physical, within the physical limitations of an athlete, you know, and over, like, obviously over time, like, athletes abuse certain ways of getting physically better and then, like, a, like, you know, raising the bar in ways that might actually be harmful. If you think about sports like the Tour de France or whatever, where you pretty much can't compete unless you're doping. Let's talk about doping. Because doping exists in Paralympics. What? Yeah. That's weird. Why is it weird? Because doping sucks in general. Are you surprised that it exists in the Paralympics? Kind of, yeah. I wouldn't want to, I mean, maybe I would dope. I don't know. It depends how much I'd want to win. Well, see, that's the other thing. Like, just like there's some subjectivity to the ranking system, there's also a little bit of subjectivity to doping. Like, what can be deemed as a performance-enhancing drug? So, for example, UFCP, let's say your doctor has prescribed you tobacclofen to help with spasms, Uh and your spasms go away, that, in theory, could be viewed as a performance-enhancing drug. For sure, yeah, yeah. And so there is a gray area there in terms of what is actually performance enhancing as it relates to the Olympics. But if it's a drug that's meant that's not for recreation, that's meant to help you cope with your disability, then it shouldn't be considered performance enhancing. Right, I would agree. Because it's how you attain your normal, I guess. Yeah, but well, normal is a tricky word. 
and in that's even in able-bodied Olympics, doping is the same gray area because somebody might have a prescription for some disease that they have or some condition. Yeah. And that could have side effects that include alertness or something. You know, like if someone has attention deficit disorder, you give them Ritalin. Mm-hmm. Ritalin can be considered a performance enhancing drug when it's used for fighter pilots to stay awake. Actually, the very fact that they need to be able to make all these decisions makes it all the more impressive that the Paralympics even exists. Exactly. You would think that like bureaucracy would just paralyze the whole initiative. Paralyze is a good word. Oh, damn. I Uh didn't even realize I did that. I know. Wait, could you imagine if this whole like time relativity was applied to the world of able-bodied sports, like how offended everyone in the world would be. Joe Rogan would devote five minutes of every episode of his fucking podcast to talking about how it's horseshit. <laughs> it would be amazing. Like, imagine even just like our salaries are adjusted for the amount of effort it takes. Like for me to do programming takes more physical exertion than <laughs> someone who can type with a keyboard. So. Yeah. If I had a programming job and it was adjusted for that, that would be fantastic. That'd be amazing, if only. Yeah, Yeah. I would love to see a world where people's conditions are taken into account. But I think I said the term oppression Olympics earlier facetiously, but this is something that's on my mind a lot, where we're told it's not fair to compare people's conditions. Or like Uh the severity of people's conditions. Uh And I don't know if I inherently agree with that. because. But but for what purpose? Right, that's a good question. Well, let's let's stick to the Paralympics. Because yesterday you and I were watching downhill skiing. And I was like, before I had sort of fully figured out the percentage or time rate system, Uh I was like, it seems way easier to ski as a left arm amputee than it does as a blind person. And like, how are they accounting for that? And you were like trying to, you know, play devil's advocate, be like, yeah, but you can't really compare apples to oranges. You know, those are two different conditions and you're right. But I also argue, why can't you compare fruits? They're both fruits. Right. (laughs) But my point is like, I think those conversations are important. Like, I know people say, like, you drown in two feet of water, you drown in seven feet of water, you still drowned. I get that argument. But also, like, two people with my disability have two different functional abilities. And I think we can compare those for the sake of equity, to try to level the playing field for everyone. Now, obviously, that's an impossible feat. Well, but it's it's mutually beneficial for you to perform that comparison, right? And I don't, I don't think the act of comparing in that context is dehumanizing. Agreed. Now, I I don't think it's fair to say to to compare for the sake of saying I should be taken care of and you shouldn't. <laughs> it's just that I should be taken care of differently. Because I'm different. Does this relate to you needing your two-hour morning call? 
And that's a good point. I wasn't really <laughs> headed there. But yeah. Like yeah. when when they're like, Yeah, but you know, some people don't need two hours to wake up. It's like, yeah, I wish I was less disabled. <laughs> yeah. If I was able to brush my own teeth, I wouldn't ask you to do it. I always found it really hard when I was a a kid and my parents would apply the same expectation of my autonomy as a disabled person. They would expect me to perform at least as well as my sister. I never, I, that was never fair. Yeah, that's because you're not the same. Yeah, but like academically, it's like a little bit more of a normalized uh, category, I guess, that didn't hold. So, you know, it was okay for us to have different grades across an array of different subjects, but it was not okay for me to still be using my manual chair when we go to the mall or... You know, for me not to have figured out how to put on my shoes by the time I was 18 or not not to have a good center of gravity when transferring out of specific bathrooms. Yeah. It's like very little things that, and it sounds like I'm just fucking complaining and I get it, you know, but the, this stuff kind of stays with you. You know, these are, these are things you, uh, these are things that you can grow resentful of. So yeah, so I understand like you need a way of evaluating and of being yeah. fair fair to people. And that, nowadays, whenever you talk about fairness, like a lot of people will roll their eyes. So you have to do you have to do the work to have this conversation, unfortunately, with everyone. Well, I think it's knowing the difference between equality and equity, right? Like mm-hmm. equality is the idea that everyone gets the same boost up and that is equal across the board. But then there's equity, which is needs based and there's a big distinction there that i think is an important distinction because if it wasn't for equity i wouldn't be able to live alone probably or at least where i'm living now yeah and that's just a fact totally okay so alpine skiing what were your thoughts skiing they look dangerous i was scared for them the fact I think the ones I was most fascinated by in all the categories were blind. Maybe it's because I just am not blind. It's so far from my reality that I can't fathom what that must be like. You're essentially having an able-bodied experience watching them. Yeah. Like relative to your abilities. Exactly. So yeah, that's that's cool. I mean, I get it too. Um, I think I enjoyed skiing the most because it was... It's exciting. It's fast-paced. Yeah, it's easy. like you can imagine yourself going down a hill uh, and losing control. And yeah. There's also an aspect of these sports, like so many of these players had adaptive equipment. And I think I mentioned this earlier, but I really wish that whoever works for the Paralympics also worked for the general public because it yeah. seems like they've devised some really cool toys. I don't mean to call them toys. I know they're made for a specific purpose, blah, blah, blah. Like the skis and the prosthetics. And... Yeah, like like yeah. the the seated skates that they used for hockey look so fun. Sledges, that's what they're called. Yeah. They look fucking amazingly fun, man. Yeah. Um, that is well within your wheelhouse, too. Maybe. 100%. You might go in circles because of your right arm being able-bodied. <laughs> Yeah, you'd be there to laugh at me, eh? I'd be there to hope that I'm right. (laughs) 
Yeah, I was your level of excitement when watching these events. Like it kind of made me feel bad because because you didn't care. No, we haven't watched many movies where you've had that reaction. No, I did feel that. I'm I was way more excited for watching this than a lot of the movies we watched. Yeah, like while while we were watching this sport event, every three minutes you were like, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i was like really you were doing it unironically too you were just into it i was fired up and i i sort of wish that i was like a sports bro just for you in that moment yeah i wish you were too <laughs> 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 i agree alpine skiing was the most exciting in terms of the pace obviously it's a two-week event we just watched bits and pieces of everything yeah um, but we were watching one of the days where the hill was extremely icy. People were bailing quite a bit. They were. You could tell it was like hard conditions. Yeah. I always find it funny how like neutral, I think like sportscasters or at least sportscasters for Olympic events are some of the more neutral like media reporters of the present day. Because when yeah. someone when someone falls... During an Olympic sports event, they're like, oh, dear, it appears she took that corner with a little bit too much speed. And they're like, they're like so neutral. Well, I think it's also, this is definitely an assumption, but um, to be a high-level athlete, which a lot of the commentators are, mm-hmm. you kind of have to leave a lot of your emotional impulses at the door because yeah. you're just focused on like your fight or flight reactions and that adrenaline the lack of showmanship uh in the reporters like play by play is quite inspiring yeah okay so then there's sledge hockey which is really fun it's also cool for me because i love hockey um and it's incredible the amount of power these players get for speed just from their upper arms yeah. It's nuts. Yeah, it looks incredibly hard to get forward momentum in a hockey sledge sled. Yeah. Like sledge. they're they're literally like cleaving at the ice with two sticks respectively. If I was on the ice as I was doing that, I'd be making Arnold noises like just to find the adrenaline. <laughs> yeah. I got to get to the blue line. Get out of here. Dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. Pass the puck, <laughs> Pass the puck, you idiot. We're playing <laughs> hockey. Get out of here. Get to the goalie. <laughs> Get the slap chopper. <laughs> so yeah, slide hockey is super cool. I feel like we have to kind of blow through this because I have to curb my enthusiasm a bit because I loved it. Oh, yeah. Like, as I'm known to curb my enthusiasm when I watch a particularly pedantic art film. Yeah, but I also want to do a wheel breaker because we have a submitted wheel breaker. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Sure, so sure, sure. I'm trying to get to that as yeah, well. Okay. But wheelchair curling, one of the things that I loved about Paralympics is it's not what you might expect, which would be an easier version of the event, like a, <laughs> yeah. a toned down version to make yeah. it easier for these poor disabled people. Right, right. Yeah. It's not that. It's like, imagine like what you're talking about, the infantilization of wheelies, like the Olympic event is set in a Chuck E. Cheese or something, yeah. or like 
fucking wiggles and giggles. Olympic curling is just broken a little. Yeah, there's like a children's ball pit, like perpetually in the frame. Like Paralympic hockey is just foosball. <laughs> Aww. In wheelchair curling, there's no sweeping. And I don't know much about curling, but I know that sweeping is a major function for redirecting a little bit, but also adjusting the speed of the rock. Couldn't they, couldn't they do something to, uh, couldn't they create like a mechanism within the ice or the plane, whatever it is, so that it's ice. like disabled people could sweep without having to push their chairs? Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Like, yeah. because there are, they do have a body system for braking that stops the skip or whatever from uh-huh. pushing back on their chair as they push the rock forward so their teammates will hold their wheels so that the the person doesn't roll around i find that so funny because i often need somebody to hold my wheels yeah yeah it's there's something my dad has a really terrible habit by the way of of like walking away from my manual chair without telling me (laughs) or you mean like while he's pushing you no, he'll always fuck off like when I when I transfer out of the van like onto the driveway, he'll like unfold the chair and like put it out for me to transfer into and then I'll get into it and I'll I'll be like ready to go and then he'll fuck off for like 3 seconds to go do something and I'll start sliding like I won't know that he's doing it. <laughs> and, and like he's the only one that does it. Everyone else that I go out with, they they like they have that common sense, but my dad is just like I have shit to do. And he just like fucks off. It drives me crazy. He's like, oh, he's fine. I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I like, kind of hope he falls down and will build character. <laughs> yeah, so it's cool to see like everyone holding people down so they don't slide around. And it did make me think maybe there could be someone that just pushes a guy in a wheelchair with, and then the guy's holding a broom and he can sweep. But the fact that there isn't sweeping kind of makes it more impressive because it means all of the shots have to be that much more accurate because you yeah. can't adjust the speed. Obviously, it's equal in that nobody gets to sweep, so everyone has that same advantage or disadvantage, but it's really, really cool to see that a sport like curling is harder because it's a disabled sport. But it's essentially the same sport. It's the same, like the ice size is the same, the home is the same, everything is the same, except they get a stick to push the rock, and I think that's the only difference beyond not sweeping. There's also some lines on the ground to help you lock your wheels in. It's like wall lines or something. Ah, okay. To help your wheels from sliding around. Didn't fully get a good grasp on that, but very cool. Then Paris snowboarding, probably the event we watched the least of, but it looked really chill. It was at least the one we were watching was like, it was like a snowboard skate park that people were going through. Yeah, by chill, we mean like it didn't look like the athletes were in any kind of like precarious danger. But there yeah. was still a, a demonstration of skill in, like, managing the course. Oh, yeah. It still looked very hard. But it looked 
fun. Like, it didn't seem, yeah, it didn't seem dangerous. It seemed like a fun activity that you could obviously get very good at and become an Olympic athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's cross-country skiing, which, again, they had sitting, standing, and uh, there was one other category, amputations, maybe. I think there's also an intellectual impairment category for that, but we didn't watch any of that. It's very cool. Again, the blind one was really impressive to me. I did watch this one where, because the the guide has to be as good as the athlete in order to stay on pace with them. Because the job of the guide is to shout turns and strides and everything. Yeah, they have to be ahead or else, like, the everyone fails. Right. And I saw this one where the guide collapsed at the end of the race because he was oh. so tired. Oh. And the athlete was like, I'm chilling. <laughs> and he finished. Well, it was already finished. But that was impressive. Just the fact that, you know, basically they have, you have to have two athletes for the price of one. For sure. Yeah, it's like synchronized skiing. Yeah. But the one that really piqued my interest was the biathlon. And when we started watching about an hour in, Jamie was getting bored. Well, he was getting bored three minutes in. But an hour in, I made the comment, I just want to see like someone shooting or something as a blind man. Yeah. As a joke. Because like, yeah. I was like, Let's see how far we can up the ante. Like, how far can we take this equity thing? And then I looked at the sports, and there's biathlon, which means there's shooting involved. So you start cross-country skiing, and then you shoot. See, even right now in this instant, you're way more excited than I am. It's so crazy (laughs) to think they've developed tech so that blind people can participate in a sport that is arguably preposterous for a blind person to do without this technology. For sure. And it's really cool. Do you want to explain how it works? I don't really know how it works. Um, Basically, like in the biathlon, there's a cardio component where you're on skis moving through a course. And then at some point you have to, throughout the course, you have to stop everything and lie down and take a rifle, a specially designed rifle, and shoot at five different targets uh, steadily. And then you got to get up and skate and repeat the process several times. And um, the way it works, I guess, is there are audio cues for the blind person to be able to tell how close they are to the target that they need to hit. Um, and so when they pick up the the rifle, you're actually treated as a viewer to the to the soundscape that they are working through to try to point the gun to their target. And yeah. so, like, I can't read, you know, a blind person rifle Morse code, but it was cool. Yeah, it's like the higher pitch you get, the closer to the target you are. And then right. you shoot. Right. And That's from simple. what I can gather, they're not actually shooting around i think it's a virtual gun like i think it's electronic but i could be wrong 
I I guess so. Yeah, they're like shooting a laser or something. Yeah, they're not actually physically shooting a target with a bullet. Yeah, as opposed to like Olympics where they do. Well, you you got to think though. It's essentially the same fucking thing. It's very much the same thing. Um, the only difference is, I guess it would be harder to accommodate. Like if you're shooting with a real target. Oh, this is what our editor is going to give us fucking notes after this. I know. Yeah, for sure. I hope so. <laughs> but if you're shooting with a real target, obviously the wind can affect the trajectory of the bullet or the round. Yeah, that's true. Good and point. If you're blind, you can't tell. I can't. I don't think you can tell if you're left or right of the target. You can only tell if you're off center. So you wouldn't be able to correct for wind for example uh okay okay so it's basically just can you interpret this pitch to figure out if you're on target quickly and accurately five times in rapid succession versus can you also manage wind conditions and other things like that there's also i guess probably like a little bit of a kickback from the gun that would be that would make it a little bit harder to recenter every time. Yeah, in a sighted event. Yeah. But the event itself is fascinating because it kind of combines. I actually read about how it was inspired by hunters from back in the day who, in the wintertime, would strap on skis, go find a deer, shoot the deer, and then take it home. So this is like the sport Olympic recreation of that where you have to go on your skis, get your heart rate up, your lungs are pounding, you're breathing in, hyperventilating, trying to keep your heart rate at a certain pulse. I read that some athletes try to get their heart rate down to a certain level before they shoot because otherwise they just can't shoot. It's just incredible the amount of stuff people have to think about to perform at this level. I'm, I get excited just thinking about it right now. Well, I'm happy for you, Tony. Thanks. Thanks for feigning or at least posturing through all of these events yesterday. I, I mean, you've done it 50, 53 times for me, so... This is our 60th episode. What? Holy yeah. fuck. That's amazing. Yeah. So, what better way to finish our 60th episode, then... Wheel Breakers! So, Kyle sent me a wheel breaker, and I'm going to pitch it to you, Jamie. I'm going to make you fully able-bodied. But Kyle has been dog-sitting recently, and he was inspired by his dog. I'm pretty sure Kyle... Kyle has just like had an impact on our wheel breakers more than we have. <laughs> Kyle's wheel breakers, every time he gives me one, it's like, oh, this is better than anyone we've ever done. <laughs> and today is no different. So, Jamie, you're going to be able bodied. But the thing is, from now on, when you drink liquids, and I'm throwing soup in there too, you do it the way a dog does it, which means. You're laughing it up with your tongue. It's a loud, obnoxious, very arguably disgusting endeavor. And if you 
need a reminder on what a dog drinking sounds like. Kyle was kind enough to send me a clip. <laughs> like, it's so obvious why you and Kyle are friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Jamie, that is the sound you're going to make and the scene you're going to make every time you drink from now on. Kyle is sitting around bored during COVID, dog sitting. At one moment, he hears his dog uh, drinking and thinks, what if I was a dog? He gets inspired by the very endearing sound of a thirsty dog. Okay. And he's like, would I, what if we, what if we drank like that? And then it translates into, what if you drank like that to be able-bodied? Would you do it? I think I would do it. It's not really that. I mean, it's quite embarrassing. Could you just do a quick impression of what you might sound like? No, I don't have a bowl in front of me at the moment or with a liquid in it. And I'm not going to lap into my microphone. Are you going to lap into your microphone? This isn't my real breaker. <laughs> Excuse me? I'm not doing this. Um, uh, would I lap up? Uh, there was one part of the clip at the end that I cut out. Kyle's fiance was like, uh, hey, can you come here for a sec or something? And Kyle's like, yeah, just a minute. And he keeps recording because he's like, this is more important. <laughs> and that is when I was like, this is the best. <laughs> You're like, I'm sure whatever you need is important, but I'm currently filming the dog Rufus drinking. So the only, uh, I would, I couldn't meet my partner's parents. You couldn't go on a first date that involved drinks. What if I like put it in my dating profile and she was into it? Nobody's into it. I don't know how you've come this far <laughs> thinking that there was a chance somebody would be into this. I don't know. Like I've met some people who are who really like ice cream. <laughs> you know, like soft serve. Yeah, but nobody makes that sound when they're eating ice cream. <laughs> I don't even think ice cream makes a noise. <laughs> I don't think ice cream <laughs> makes a noise. <laughs> That'd be like a weird title for a memoir. <laughs> the Chapman story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Turns out it does make a noise. <laughs> this is such a goofy one, man. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah, I would do it. I would do it. You would do it? Yeah, whoever would okay, be so my partner. what part would you say in your dating profile? <laughs> I would say, uh, I, I have a weird thing where I can't use straws and I can't pick up pick up my soup. So I have to eat like a dog. Oh, that's smart because you, you kind of bury the lead a little bit. So people might just be a little intrigued. <laughs> yeah. They'd be like, oh, I wonder how he drinks. Right, exactly, yeah. Maybe he's invented, like, a practical device that makes it look socially acceptable. No! No, just this. <laughs> You're going to play it again. You're such a fucking... <laughs> so you would do it? Well, I'd do it, yeah. It's a small price to pay. I bet my part, whoever I meet who tolerates it would be really interesting. You, you wouldn't be able to drink in a quiet setting. No, like you couldn't not. take a sip in a movie theater. 
I mean, this you're also like, if I was 20, it would be maybe annoying. But then again, a lot of people do a lot of humiliating things. It's not just alcohol. In the club. It's club. also like water. Sure. Yeah, it's... imagine drinking like that in front of an employer. They'd fire you. Yeah. Like you get fired just for being a weirdo. You'd have to... I yeah, what would you call it? I, you're like, I'm so sorry. I have canine hydration syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Canine derived thirst disorder. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I'm surprised you took it so easily, but I, I think Rufus the dog will be happy to hear that you don't think his condition is a barrier to entry. Uh-huh. So that's good. Do you have one by any chance? Yeah, it's a dumb one. Okay. So you get to be 100% able-bodied, mm-hmm. but um, as an able-bodied person, you have to be Tony Soprano. Okay. So you have to be the leader of the New Jersey mob, which yeah. means you're morally compromised. Am I, like, present time or 90s? I will say peak Soprano era. So you get to live out the late 90s through to 2007. Okay. Because that is a better era to be a mob boss. I feel like I would have a harder time now. Yeah. In modern culture. Yeah, maybe as Tony Soprano, you'd 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 make more fruitful use of your sessions with Doctor Melfi. Right. Do I have to continue living his life? Like, can I just be Tony Soprano and be like, I don't know if killing is really where I'm at. Well, but then wouldn't you eventually be ostracized by your group? Like, the I could just take Witzek. Maybe you could, maybe. Live in Nicaragua somewhere. That would be interesting, like escape, escape being good Tony Soprano. Yeah, that's probably what I would try. I would just go into witness protection, move to South America, sell oranges at the beach, fresh pressed orange juice. You wouldn't like try it out for a month before you moved into Witsec? What I would do is I wouldn't try it out. I would... Get good with all my friends. Get so in that they would never expect me to leave. And then one day I would just be gone. And that way, like, I would try to mend any bridges. Yeah, just try to make sure that I hide it. I think it would be cool to have such access to such stellar mental health services. Like, Dr. Melfi would be really fun to talk to. Yeah. But if I'm in Nicaragua, I don't have any health concerns. Yeah, I yeah, I guess, and it's the 1990s, so you can't FaceTime with her. That's true. What if you couldn't go into witness security? What, what if you had to you had to be a mob boss? I had to be a mob boss. That does complicate things because I'm yeah. fairly murder reverse, right? In general, ideally, like at least lately, I found that mm-hmm. um, you're not a moral relativist as well, eh? Well, I mean, like except for all the people I murdered. <laughs> it doesn't seem like that fun of a life. Like, I watch The Sopranos, and he spends 30% of his time at Dr. Melfi's office, 20% of his time yelling at Carmela at home, and the rest is in the back of a strip club just getting <laughs> mad at his friends. That's true. He gets mad at his friends a lot. I feel like I need to defend the marriage with Carmela because I think that's one of the more stable aspects of his life. Even though he does have a... Was this just a veiled attempt to <laughs> talk about Spider-Man and The Sopranos? Because we talked about sports for the episode? You're like, I'll just bookend it with 
media coverage and it will be fine. Okay, I was thinking, sorry, let's focus on the wheel breakers then. So if you had to be a mob boss, you'd figure it out? You'd break good? I'd, I think I'd try to break good. I'd be very afraid of prison, really. Even if I was able to wrap my head around the moral relativism of murdering people. Yeah. I'd be afraid of prison. Like, I'd get so bored in prison. That's not a hot take, but I just... <laughs> I just don't think prison is for me. I gotta be honest, Tony. Sometimes your current predicament feels like prison. Switch <laughs> coming from you. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> so I got through a whole Sopranos anecdote without doing the impression. I was wondering if that's where it was headed. And if you'd like, I think it would be best for you to give a little bit of a summary of today's episode in... Your most Tony Sopranoist, Tony Soprano. I don't even think I could talk about sports as Tony Soprano. I guess we'll find out. This is pressure. It's hard to do, like... <laughs> no, it's not. Once you get into it, you'll be fine. Tony, what do you want from me? I got nothing to say about the Paralympics, okay? Let's change the subject. What would Tony Soprano say about the Paralympics? I don't know. It's like, uh, you know, his sister Janice had that uh, physiotherapist... What was her name? Uh, the Russian. Uh, she had the fucking cane or whatever, the prosthetic. She was incredible. I think Tony would be very empathetic toward the disabled. Maybe that's why I'm biased toward the show. I don't know. You know what I love about your impression? Is what? You snort while you inhale, just like he does. Like you have your tongue so far back into your throat. I don't know if a bee stung his tongue when he was little, but. It's all in the tongue, eh? It really is. A lot of times the key to an impression is understanding how an actor moves their face, okay? It's not even the content of what you're saying. It's making a fucking face. It's incredible. So when I do like a Christopher Walken, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to transition between impressions because of what you have to do to get yourself in the mode for it. Yeah, you feel like you're Christopher Soprano now? (laughs) Yeah. Please, guys, what are we doing? I don't want to watch the Olympics. It's not good. I get so bored. I'm not into it. Can we watch a movie next time? You know, that'd be great. You know what, Christopher? That's fair. <laughs> who, else, who else can you do? How's your Jeff Goldblum coming? Oh, I can't. I can't. I can't do Jeff Goldblum. I, I, I actually need to, like, it? next time I go on vacation, I'm going to spend, like, two or three days just talking like him. Do you know what? Since I moved in with my parents, like I've lo- I've stopped learning new impressions because I don't live alone, so I'm self conscious. <laughs> Isn't that fucking stupid? Yeah, a little bit, honestly. Like, what are you afraid of them judging you for getting your Jeff Goldblum wrong? That my dad's just gonna come down like the ramp and be like, "Well, Mo, I think we have to call the doctor again. Mister Joe is talking to himself." And you can't handle that kind of criticism. Honestly, it's like, I mean, for God's sake, my dad is usually in the room behind me. Well, I wish for your sake, you can move out of your parents' house for the sake of your Jeff Goldblum impression. Me too, man. And with that said, thank you for putting up at the Paralympics for me. I had a great time. I still <laughs> wish you did as well, because there's a lot of good here, even if you don't care about the sports. But when when we get to the 2024 Summer Paralympics. Mm-hmm. 
maybe we can discuss again and you'll uh, maybe you'll come around when we see like swimming or something. I appreciate your patience, Tony. Also, shout out to Ukraine. They killed it this Olympics. Really? The Paralympics? Yeah. Cool. Say bye as Tony. You want to say bye as Tony? Yeah. I don't even know how you would say goodbye. See you later. And then say goodbye as Christopher Walken. Goodbye, everyone. Have a nice night. You know, it's almost spring. And then say goodbye as Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> no. <laughs> I feel like I was close. <laughs> <laughs>